You're listening to the Retail Perch with Shekhar Raman and Gary Hawkins. We're going to discuss industry challenges and opportunities in grocery retail, AI, current and upcoming trends, and so much more. Hello, folks. Welcome back to another episode of the Retail Perch. And, uh, you know, we're drawing up here close to the end of summer. Fall is going to be here anytime soon. Gary, can you believe it? Summer has gone by. It's gone way too fast. I know. I know. Right. And it's one more summer. Of course, we're all slowly starting to crawl out of our homes, hopefully, and we'll be out on the streets pretty soon. But uh, we appreciate all the support you guys have given us. And as you know, in this podcast, we talk about all things retail tech, specifically applied to the supermarket industry. And we'd love to keep those comments coming in. If you want to be on the show, do email us at the retail perch at birdseye.com. And we'd love to get you scheduled on the show. So with that, I'm actually going to introduce another special guest on the Retail Perch. And, you know, you we've had a bunch of really amazing people on the Retail Perch over the last few weeks. And Steve is no less. He is a star in his own right. He has um, a fantastic speaker. I've heard him speak in many times. And he's also an amazing author. He's written a book called The Remarkable Retail. And, you know, basically talking about customer experience and how you need to handle the whole disruption in the industry. And of course, Steve has a huge background in retail. He's been an executive in several retail organizations. But I believe uh, for the past 12 years, Steve, you've run your own consultancy. You've been kind of off on your own. And he's a speaker at many events that I've heard Steve speak. So it's fantastic to have Steve over at the retail part. So with that, Steve, and Gary, unless you want to say something, we'll hand it over to uh, Steve to give us a quick intro and then take it away, Steve. Welcome. Sure. Well, thank you. That uh, Thanks for that very kind and generous introduction. Yeah, my... my uh... I often get asked, how did I end up doing what I'm doing? And I have really have no idea. I started on a path working at a big consulting firm many years ago. I then migrated over to doing strategy work in the CPG industry. And then it's almost 30 years ago now, I guess, a headhunter called me to explore this job at Sears. And I wasn't necessarily that interested in retail, but at the time I had reasons to stay in Chicago. And the thing that really appealed to me was the opportunity to come in kind of a strategy and innovation role, but then move into actually running something, which was kind of my primary focus at that time. And it actually worked out at least the, the first few years there because I got a lot of different responsibilities and ended up running a big division, um, was responsible for starting some of the early channel integration efforts um, so got, got involved with e-commerce pretty early on, but then it was pretty clear that Sears was not going to be turned around. And as I say in my book, I went from the outhouse to the penthouse coming down here to Dallas where I am now to head up strategy and customer insight and some multi-channel stuff for the Neiman Marcus group. And then, yeah, as you mentioned, uh, I decided to leave the corporate world, actually took a little bit of time off and ended up kind of getting lured into consulting because people were approaching me about whether I was open to doing that. And it's just kind of gone from there. Uh, what the biggest difference is probably in the last four or five years being doing more speaking and workshops and then ultimately writing Remarkable Retail. Well, that's fantastic. And, and I know you're in your second edition of Remarkable Retail. Right. And I'd love to talk about what you have in this book. So what, what's, what prompted you to write this book, number one? You know, what's, what, where did you see the need for this book? And what are you hoping to convey to the reader? 
Sure. Well, there's the selfish part of it, which for me, I like to write and I always felt like I was going to write a book about something at some point. So it's been a little bit of a bucket list item for probably 10 plus years. The, the question was, well, what is it going to be about? And I kind of backed into it through doing more speaking because of course, you know, when you do keynotes, you do workshops or whatever, you have to have a narrative, you have to have some stories to tell. And so as I started to develop that, four or five years ago, the book narrative really started to coalesce. And then, you know, ultimately I just had to sit down and, and write the damn thing. But I in terms of what I'm trying to bring to the audience, I think it's really a couple things. One, well, first of all, the premise of the book, Remarkable Retail, is this idea that even very good is not good enough anymore, when customers have so much access, so much information, so much choice, that they're not likely to switch to your brand just because you're slightly better. So you've got to really kind of raise the bar on that. So that was the underlying premise. And then I really wanted to convey why that's important, what to do about it. And I think the main thing on top of that was a lot of retailers, I don't believe understood how much transformation was going to be required and how quickly they needed to do it. So hopefully I bring a sense of urgency to, to some of the messages in the book. So, of course, I uh, happen to have the privilege of sitting among two well-published people. And, you know, Gary's, of course, written an amazing book as well. And I have, I have your book on my list here to read, Steve, but I will definitely read it after this podcast um, before this goes out on the air. But, uh, but we know, uh, Gary, you know, just to talk about, you know, of course, what Steve's been writing. And, you know, it seems like a lot of the thoughts are kind of aligned in terms of you're coming at it from hey there's a new revolution happening in the industry and the customer expectations changing and steve's talking about hey you know if you don't change with your customer expectation your business is going to get disrupted and it's no longer good enough just to be slightly better you just got to be able to completely revolutionize the customer experience and i think gary you talk about you know how do you do that right how do you leverage what you have to do that so What's, um, I'd love to hear about what you think about, you know, this entire concept of remarkable retail here. So I, I completely agree with Steve that I, I think the days of, you know, let's call it the utility shopping experience, certainly going out to a physical store are long gone, right? What I think we see happening certainly in, in grocery retail is shopping online has become so prevalent. So many people have tried it now, have done it, have gotten comfortable with it, that for the routine replenishment, fulfillment of, of products, it's quite honestly easier simply to do it online and either pick it up on the way home or have it delivered right to, to your house. So I, I think if retailers are seeking to get that shopper to actually visit their physical store, they've got to provide something out of the ordinary. Right, you know, to quote Steve, remarkable. And you know, in my mind, I, I see things sort of coming into two two areas, right? Either the retailer providing education. So, you know, again, in the world of food, help me understand what this new cheese is, where it's from, what it tastes like, what do I pair it with, you know, those types of things, and or experiences, right? which could be food tasting, sampling, which is beginning to finally come back now from the pandemic. But you know, it's either one or, or both of those things combined. Yeah, I generally agree with that. One of the things I talk about in the book, which 
frankly, I stole from some other people is, is this idea, and, it, and it's certainly a little oversimplified or too black and white, but there, there's buying and there's shopping. And buying being more utilitarian, get something off your list, super convenience oriented. You're not spending a lot of time. You just want to get it done. And shopping being much more discovery, emotional, tactile, et cetera. And obviously there's a lot of in between, but e-commerce, you know, transactional e-commerce. And I want to talk in a second about we need a better definition for online shopping, but come back to that. But e-commerce transactionally is really good at the buying stuff and where you see high penetration, whether we're talking about Amazon or Wayfair or you know, any players are, are in those types of items. Um, and you don't see as much transactional penetration on the more shopping sort of experiences. So I, I completely agree. It's, it's when you've got so much access and convenience and frankly, you've got some venture capitalists and companies subsidizing some of these products, you know, I'm very happy to pay Amazon to deliver my big case of San Pellegrino water. You know, it's a good price. It just shows up. Uh, they probably lose money on every single one they send to me, but it's super convenient for me. I'm still happy to go to the grocery store to pick out some salmon or, you know, <laughs> grind some coffee or, you know, there's plenty of other, other things that it's very hard to replicate online. So, so I agree. Um, I don't know if you heard this, but Mickey Drexler, some listeners might know, is, uh, ran Gap, ran J. Crew for many years. He talks about it as the de-schlepping of retail. You know, why why would you schlep <laughs> heavy bottled water, pet food, toilet paper, a whole bunch of things um, that are just a hassle and you don't, you know, you know what you want. You don't need to go yeah. go see it. So unless you have some immediate gratification need, you know, the internet's just going to win probably 99 times out of 100 going forward. So how does one, how does a retailer achieve remarkable retail? You know, obviously, you know, technology has become almost, you know, a lot of these things have become commoditized, right? So everybody has mm -hmm. the same product. Right. Where, what's the path to this remarkable retail for retailers? How do they find Well, at the, risk, at the risk of being cliche, you know, it starts with really understanding your customer well. And in a lot of cases, I think though, you know, not that this wasn't an idea before, but getting more and more, focus on who your target customer is. You know, too many retailers, particularly if you think about department stores, you know, they're just trying to be a little bit of everything to everybody and they end up not being particularly important for any particular group. So going back and really understanding who's at that core of your customer base, what purchase occasions you're trying to reach. And I often suggest dissecting the customer journey uh, which could be many, many customer journeys when you think about different sort of customers, you know, particularly in the grocery industry, obviously, you, have, you know, you can often have a variety of types of customers, you got a wide range of products and services, but really going through that customer journey and really doing three things. One, doing a friction audit or a pain point audit, because in many cases, barriers are erected in the shopping process that just keeps you from giving any, any chance, not necessarily a chance to be remarkable, but it's a chance to take something that is a barrier to buying. The second is what are those things you just have to be at parity with that become table stakes. And then the third is to try to find one, two, three, maybe more things, uh, which I call amplify the wow. You know, what, what's that thing that is unique, different, highly customer relevant, and ideally gives you competitive advantage. So the answer is going to be different for different sort of retailers, but I think that's the way 
the way you get there. Yeah, I think, Gary, we, we uh, of course, spoke to Sandra uh, a couple of weeks ago, two episodes ago, and Sandra runs a consulting customer engagement reinvention consulting mm -hmm. uh, out of Toronto, I believe. And uh, they have about 100 reinventionists working at the company. <laughs> And, and she brought up, I think, three very interesting points. And I asked her, how do you figure out what to do for a customer to reinvent their experience? And she said, first, figure out exactly who your customer is, right? right. Uh, don't try to do too many things for too many people. Yeah. Second is figure out exactly what their needs are and make sure you're fulfilling them. And third is figure out how to differentiate yourself. And it's pretty much, I think, exactly what you said. I mean, it obviously seems to be a mantra. So how does somebody take a concept like that and apply it to something like grocery retail, right? I, I mean, I can see if you're doing specialty retail, you have a unique product, you have an experience that goes with it. But, you know, seems like, you know, some of these concepts are not as easily translatable into supermarket retail, or maybe it is. I'm just, uh, it's a question for both of you guys. Well, I think supermarkets, you know, if you think about the more sort of general merchandise kind of uh, broad supermarkets, they absolutely have their own challenges because by their very nature, they're serving a much wider range. I mean, you could make the, the analogy somewhat to the department store world, except, you know, even in the good, good old days of department stores, you know, which was now 30 or 40 years ago, it, it was pretty unusual for even your best customers to come six or even seven times a year. So obviously you've got different frequency different kind of size of wallet in the grocery industry. So I think it is a little bit different, but I think you still have to go through the, you know, what are the, what's the essential mix and what are those variables that drive me to choose you at the margin? I mean, there's going to be a core, I think, you know, you're going to have to have milk, and, you know, <laughs> there's a lot of things that are just table stakes, but where can you really differentiate yourself? Now, I think historically, you know, it's been prepared foods or deli, you know, you know, those, those sorts of things. But I think those have also largely become pretty commonplace now. So you have to go to the next level. I think in particular in the grocery business, and this is just a carryover from a lot of other retail, you also have to be realizing that it's not about online or physical, that the customer is the channel. And that pushes more work on you to really understand the customer journey. Um, because, you know, even with all the discussion about how much e-commerce has been accelerated, a lot of that acceleration actually involves a physical store. It's, it's digitally led or digitally enabled, but without the physical store, a lot of that growth wouldn't even occur. So my little rant on the definition of e-commerce is if you think about the first 20 years or so of e-commerce, it was mostly order online, pick, pack, and ship something from a big distribution center and mail it to your home or office. Now you had you know, big ticket stuff that was locally delivered um, and you had some buy online, pick up in store and you had digitally downloaded music and everything. But if you look in particular what's happened in the last five years, you know, much more is being ordered online, pick up in store, you know, fulfilled out of a store through local home delivery, shipped from store. So we got to kind of get not too hung up on the online stats. You have to get hung up on focusing on the customer, all the different things they buy, whether that is digitally 
marketed, <laughs> whether it's digitally ordered, uh, and how is the supply chain work? And that, I think that's the bigger opportunity for, for grocers to understand beyond you know, just the merchandising part of it. Yeah, and I think the interested in your comments, Steve, around you know extending this idea of remarkable retail or you know providing an experience. How does that transfer over into the digital world? Right. I mean, certainly, what we're seeing is the the world of, of physical shopping converging with crashing into the world of digital shopping and. Right. and this blending, fusing together of these experiences. Right. Uh, you know, I think a lot of retailers, certainly in grocery retail, are still struggling with, quite honestly, basic user experience in the online sure. shopping area. But I, I think they're either going to fix that or those retailers aren't going to be around too much longer. But I think the future lies in how do you extend that experiential shopping into the digital world. You seeing yeah. anything interesting happening there? Yeah, I think so. Well, first of all, it is more challenging for a grocery store to do e-commerce than most other players because of the number of items that are involved. And I think part of the, the and because I totally agree with you, a lot of the user experience isn't great, but if I'm looking for a sweater and I go to Macy's, I can go through search, I can get it done, I can put it in my cart, it's a pretty efficient process. If I'm doing my weekly shopping, the web, most websites are, are a complete mess. So creating shopping lists and previously purchased and things like that uh, you know, is a way of doing it. But I do think there are some just constraints that make the online enablement of grocery a bit more difficult. So I think you've got to deal with kind of the functional aspects of how the path to purchase if someone intends to buy online and have it shipped or buy online and go to the store. But I think the other element is, is to, when you think about customer needs, I was going back to what was said earlier about customer needs, one of the, I've got the book somewhere behind me, but there's a book called Obsessed. It, it really is this idea of keep asking why when a customer describes a need to you. You know, if I say, well, I need a bottle of wine. Well, why? <laughs> because I'm throwing a party or because I'm trying to impress my mother-in-law or, you know, it's a different need state than I just want some cheap wine to drink while I'm watching Netflix, right? So, so I think that when you talk about needs, it's more what's that ultimate solution the customer is trying to accomplish. And too many websites, I think, are just you know, about optimizing conversion and measuring success in that way. And that's not the only measure of success. It's tough to balance. Again, I think grocery is particularly tough to balance because of the variety. So to try to create a website and dynamic personalization and a lot of these other things that could make that better. I, I don't want to make it sound like I think that's, that's trivial, but I think when you think about customer needs, you have to think about it. You know, the need is not just find the product I think I want, put it in my basket, and check out, it might be, I need a great recipe, or yeah. it might be, you know, I need some products that are really going to impress my date or, you know, so asking those why questions, maybe sometimes even five or six times helps you understand the need in perhaps a different way. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I, I think that is challenging to do in grocery from the perspective of you're eating food 
multiple times a day, right? If not crazy right. all day long. And so those those need states are, are constantly changing. It's not right. like, hey, I'm going to a formal dinner party. I need a tuxedo. Where can I go buy one? Right. Yeah, exactly. you know, that's easy to understand need experience. What do I need? Right. With food, it's a whole different animal. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because it could be a dinner party. It could be, well, I just decided to go on this diet. So I need this now. Um, it becomes much more complex. Sure. Yeah. And I think, I think that's, that's just the reality, right? I mean, yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a constraint complication that you have to have to work around. So some of the, some of the things you can learn from other retailers success don't necessarily transfer so well or as easily to to the grocery industry. Yeah, I think the second issue also in the supermarket industry that we've touched upon in this podcast many times is access to talent, right? To build these solutions. You know, the 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 guys who are graduating with degrees from good schools are not necessarily looking to go work at a supermarket retailer. They're gonna work, they want to go work in some cool startup out of Silicon Valley. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So so I think that's another interesting challenge that's facing this industry, which is how do you get access to people who can actually create these solutions and put them mm-hmm. in place for you, right? And, you know, of course, we can sit here and discuss about what should be done, but actually getting it done is a whole nother thing. So when you talk to retailers, see, what, what have you seen retailers do in terms of approaching, implementing some of these ideas that we're discussing here? Well, it varies. I mean, partner or buy versus buy type of decision. I mean, really all the above. I, I certainly think if you're, I mean, I take your point, it is, it is cooler to go work at some of these, these you know, sexier sounding brands or perhaps brands where you can get more of, a, of an equity stake. But I think the best retailers, you know, they go through, they think about their journey to, um, you know, remarkable, more harmonized retail in a series of building blocks uh, because you can, plenty of retailers have gotten in trouble by trying to do too much too fast. So I think you, you sequence that out, you do a lot more of experimentation and then you have to, yeah, you have to decide where you can partner with technology providers or consulting resources or independent contractors, whatever, versus bringing that talent in. I think the big shift I've seen, and, and I do think there is this war for talent that it does make it a lot, lot harder to actually implement is I do think most retailers have really changed their tune. I have one client who's imported a tremendous amount of talent from the outside is also a heavy user uh, of consultants, but they certainly have decided that, not that this is revolutionary, but it's like some of these capabilities, you know, these digital capabilities, supply chain capabilities, personalization, AI, whatever, you know, that they have to have a fair amount of that talent within their organization. And then, you know, they're selectively partnering uh, with people to experiment or they've got a best-in-class provider um, doing that. So it's a blend. I mean, I don't think I can tell you. Um, the only thing I could say consistently is I think there is more, there's more, the good ones, there's more experimentation, fast experimentation, and there's generally more trying to get that talent um, into their into their team. Yeah. But that is an ongoing challenge. And I think, you know, increasingly, I, I think we're going to see fewer retailers across any sector or vertical being able to truly have the resources to bring the required talent into their organizations because 
I think one of the things that's different today versus the past and, and not too long ago past is that today innovation is happening across every single place you look uh, as opposed to, you know, even several years ago, it might be focused on supply chain for a while and then it might shift to in store and then it might shift to digital something else. Today, it's everything everywhere all the time. And so it's right. really, it just adds to the challenges. It does. I, I heard, uh, you remind me of, I heard Mindy Grossman when she was running HSN, it's probably like a decade ago, speaking at the NRF conference where she said, one of the things that's become so challenging in retail is you're, you're only as good or you're measured against the consumer's last great experience. You know, when you had to run around, mm -hmm. <laughs> where there wasn't the internet and you had to run around, well, I'm going to go to this store to talk to the salesperson to figure out what dishwasher, right? You know, it was all, the information was very disaggregated yeah. and, and innovation or ideas or whatever just couldn't spread so quickly you know, in general, but across platforms. So the experience that I have booking a hotel room, you know, if that's wonderful, and then I go and get on a natural foods grocery store site, and I can't do like, well, that was great. Now, why can't you even do that? I just think, again, that's another right. aspect of how expectations keep ratcheting up. And the customer doesn't care, oh, you're an independent or exactly. you're a grocery store, not a shoe store. Right? What It doesn't, matter i'm i'm trying to get something done and i'm pretty familiar with yep. the best in class or or things that i really like so i agree i think it's it's hard i i do like to think i could be wrong for sure that on the one hand i totally agree that that scale and scope is causing uh will continue to cause consolidation of market share generally speaking to bigger bigger players. And yes, while it's true, you can use big commerce or Shopify or whatever to get, uh, or other, you know, vendors to help you kind of get uh, competitive with the, the big guys. I do think it, it is harder for those in the middle. Again, it's a little bit of this idea of, I talk about in the book of the collapse in the middle. Some of that is a customer behavior, but some of it is also strategic, which is you're trying to be a little bit of everything to everybody, yeah. but you're not big enough or far enough along to compete with the big guys, you just end up getting marginalized. So yep. the possible strategy is to go to try to be more special, you know, to narrow your customer focus perhaps, and to go deeper and to use unique product or unique service or something different about the experience um, to cause advantage, not to keep kind of chasing your tail to try to out Amazon, Amazon or out Walmart, Walmart or out Kroger, Kroger. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I see it like a Trader Joe's, right? As a fantastic example right. where yeah. you have uh, raving fans of the store. Mm -hmm. People will drive many miles to get to the next Trader Joe's because uh, they they just love the experience. They like the product. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, it's all mostly private label, right? Uh, right. Exotic yeah. stuff. So they've clearly had a strategy that's worked. And, uh, you know, to produce that remarkable retail. I mean, and I try to step out when I come out of a trader show and says, what is it about the store that I really like? You mm -hmm. know, and uh, I think to me, A, it's not too big, right? right? So I always, always feel that I have my bearings in the store, right? Mm -hmm. I'm, not, I'm not wondering you have to go to the other end of the store to pick up. It's decently mm -hmm. small, but it has a, and they're focused on specific categories that they feel 
they can provide the best value. And instead of spreading themselves thin and having carrying everything, they don't intend right. for you to be the one destination shop for your food. Exactly. Right. I think that's a great example. And I'm sure they do customer research that says, oh, I wish you had more baked goods or I wish you had you know, more takeout prepared or whatever. Like I'm, I, I'm sure there is this pull right. to add yeah. stuff. And I don't know what the right answer is. Perhaps they should be a little bit bigger. I don't know. But to your point, they have a very clear idea of who the customer is and the product categories they're trying to be impactful in. And they're willing, and I think that's a big part of strategy, particularly the way retail's evolved over the last decade or so is who's this not for? You know, <laughs> Because to try to chase to be a little bit of everything is almost certainly going to end up put you in a bad place. And there's really few retailers, Walmart, Target, Amazon, probably, that can try to be close to an everything store. But, but people, you know, going to, going to Walmart or going to Amazon, Target's maybe a little bit different animal. People understand, I mean, if you really think about Amazon, user experience is not really that good. <laughs> you know, it's not, it, it, the website's kind of a mess, but it's designed for most of the kind of occasions that people want to go to. Similarly, Walmart, like you can't meet all those needs without having a huge store. So to your point about Trader Joe's, it's a really different experience, but the customer gets great selection, great price. And so they're trading off the intimacy um, or you know, maybe getting some more premium products. But in between would be death, right? So you've got to really pick, pick a lane to use the cliche. And, and if you understand your customer well, and you understand those different customer journeys, then that'll lead you to opportunities rather than just sort of try to be the biggest thing you can be out there. Yeah. yeah I want to go back to the point you brought up a few minutes ago around strategy. Uh, that is not a word I often use related to grocery retail from the perspective that, you know, I, I think one of the areas grocery differs from other retail sectors is the bottom line. Right. You know, mm -hmm. most supermarket retailers are still working on a 1% net right. profit, which is not a lot. That has historically forced a focus on execution, cost control, et cetera. You know, the, the, the old saying retail is detail. Right. And, mm -hmm. you know, my experience, supermarket operators, I don't care if it's one store or it's one of the national companies, very, very focused on execution tactical operations, et cetera. Right. And so I think it's only the, the bigger companies that have someone in the organization towards the top, having the luxury of a little bit of time to think about strategy. And I, I think the complicating factor there today is that, and this is not in favor of the mid-market or, or the independent sector, is there is so much happening with, with technology and innovation, again, across every area, that retailers can't keep up with it. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's one thing to know about, for example, computer vision, right, like Amazon Go. And retailers can quickly say, oh, yeah, okay, that's cool. I can get rid of my cashiers. I can reduce cost. Makes sense, right? They're not understanding the follow-on implications of that kind of platform, you know, related to monitoring out of stocks, sharper traffic through the store. You know, there, there's countless other applications that get laid on top of that right. tech platform that 
my experience, 90 plus percent of retailers haven't even thought about yet. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's probably true. I, you know, to me, the, the challenge for the grocery industry broadly is what we've seen, I think, in a lot of other retail categories, moderate department stores probably being the best example, which is you've got this massive investment in a lot of stores with a particular configuration. They're not easy, you know, they're not agile, particularly uh, to your point about profit margins, you don't necessarily have the, you know, it's one thing if you're Louis Vuitton or something to redo your store with 70% right. margins, right? Uh, it's not, not so easy to think about um, how to do that. But I think the danger, and I think we're starting to see it, it's just maybe hasn't shown up so much is you've got all sorts of different players going after a slice of, of that broad business. So whether it is Trader Joe's or organic food, or it's, it's Walmart, Target, Amazon, you know, subscription, you know, hint water, you know, tiny, but right. You've got like a little bit of people saying, you know what, people talk about Jeff Bezos saying, you know, your margin is my opportunity. I, my, my twist on that is your mediocrity is my opportunity. You know, you've got people finding parts of this big business, trying to be a little bit to everybody with a lot of real estate and finding things to, to pick at. So it's a, it may be death by a thousand cuts. I don't think like the grocery business is going to be overturned and like Blockbuster was, you know, in a few years. Yeah. But, you know, I think you have to ask yourself, and I say this to a lot of clients, you know, if you had to do it all over again and you were starting with a blank sheet, what might you do? Not only with your, you know, and you could have multiple formats perhaps, but, you know, with your lead format, what would you do? And if you think about your deployment in a given trade area or metro area, what might you do different? Maybe I need a somewhat smaller main store and I need pickup hubs or something. You know, yeah. I, I don't know. <laughs> you know, grocery is not, not the center of my bullseye. But I think when you see what's going on with Nike and you see what's going on with Nordstrom, where they're unbundling what they do in their everything kind of format and then rebundling it in ways, I think that's part of the way to get there. Now, you're never going to, you know, redo your whole chain in a few years with that thinking. Right. But if you don't start today, you know, you're going to you'll be the frog boiling in water, you know, just to I use know. another cliche. And I, I think that's my that's my worry for the big, the big, you know, kind of mass grocery no, chains. It's not like it's going to fall apart overnight. It's yeah. just going to fall apart slowly. Yeah. No, I think we're in a very exciting time because there is a you know, clearly because of the last 18 months, expectations have changed. Our habits have been forcibly changed in terms of how we access information and products. So I was listening to something interesting yesterday talking about, uh, you know, office occupancies right now are 30%, right? Across right. the country on average, which means 70% of office real estate is empty, is vacant. Mm -hmm. And they don't right. expect that to get back to maybe 60% at best, mm -hmm. right? Right which means that local businesses that were supported by those that office traffic are going to be impacted. And so, Absolutely. so there's going to be a consequence of this whole thing and how we shop for our food, everything is going to change. And I think uh, to your point, retailers, especially supermarket retailers, because food has become the center of our life now, again, uh, need to really think about what does this new situation mean in terms of meeting customer expectation? Where do I need to meet my customer? How do I need them best? And what are they really looking for from me, right? So 
And I think it's fascinating. And, you know, last three, four, I think, episodes, Gary, we've spoken to a lot of people. We spoke to somebody from Microsoft, and I think uh, we spoke to another Forbes contributor, Richard Kestenbaum, uh, mm-hmm. an episode ago. Yeah. I'm sure you know him. Yeah. Right? Yeah, it was a fascinating conversation. And they were all really all talking about the same thing about bringing awareness about understanding where is your customer going and how do you adapt your business to meet that need where the customer is because it's no longer the business figuring out here's where you come to do the service to get your products it's now the customer dictating here's how i want it and i guess that's a big shift that's been happening here yeah and i think the more using um something that that nordstrom uh has been employing for a while I think you have to, you know, as much as we talk about, you know, online versus physical, I think it's more important, or at least it's worth adding, what are those customer segments that you need to grow and retain? Um, and, and using that customer cohort lens, and then also looking at it on a trade area by trade area basis. Because if you're not, I would argue in general, I'm sure you can find some exceptions, but if you're not growing, with those core customers that you need to win, grow and keep, and you're losing relevance slowly on a market by market basis, then eventually that's gonna catch up with you. But even more than that is, but from trying to understand a strategy point, you know, we've seen such distortions driven by safety, not necessarily permanent behavior. So it's a little bit hard to say, oh, because this happened over the last 18 months, I've got to completely chase that. But, you know, if, if consumers are, preferring more neighborhood shopping or they're preferring more premium products or more organic or socially cut, whatever, and you're losing that, you've got to do that on a more granular level. Because if you're a big retailer, like I can tell you when I was at Sears, one of the things that we really missed that we eventually started paying attention to, we just didn't do enough to figure it out, was that we were losing a lot of market share on a market by market basis to new, at the time, newer concepts like Home Depot and Lowe's and and Best Buy. At the national level, you couldn't really see it. But when we started to dig in and say, well, these guys are going to expand. And if you just model that out, yeah. within a few years, it starts to be a huge problem. So that's going to be different for everybody. But I think you know, where you see perhaps the most innovative competitors um, you know, doing a deep dive into that market and see what's, what's preventing you from acquiring customers at the rate you used to or what's causing you to get lower share of wallet or just fundamentally your overall mix of business goals. I think that can provide some interesting clues, which, you know, you may be able to deal with within your merchandise assortment or service within your current format, but I might suggest that maybe, you know, 30 big stores in the market isn't the long-term portfolio you're going to want. No, fascinating. I think this is, this has been an amazing conversation so far. And, you know, and Steve, we always find ourselves in this position with our guests that we have these amazing conversations and we don't know where the time went right (laughs) Uh, and and this has been our standing promise to all our guests that uh, you have to give us your address so we can mail you a retail perch coffee mug and next time you come back on the only way you get back on here you got to be having coffee (laughs) okay all right i'm ready that's kind of like your ticket back into the show okay Uh, but you know it's like a reasonable trade yeah, so it's but it's been a fascinating conversation. You know, I always enjoyed speaking to you and listening to you, and always hear you know hearing what you have to say because I think, uh, and this is one of the things, right? When you when you have been on the retail side of things, and then you've been out of it observing how it's growing and reacting, you have a different objective view of you know what needs to happen, 
And I, I love that because I think that's really where disruption has come from. And you have to listen to people who are not necessarily doing it day in and day out because you're too close to the tree to see the forest type of thing, yes. right? Yeah. And, and I it think uh, yeah, what you and um, Gary and folks like you bring to the, to the table really is this, you know, step back, let's look at the bigger picture and, you know, you know, this is the wrong way kind of thing. You know, you have the ability to do that. And I think uh, a lot of our listeners really appreciate that. So thank you so much for taking your time and being on the show. Gary, anything? Uh, yeah, yeah to just to, to add on to what you just said, Shaker, I think the other thing that is becoming increasingly important and that Steve spoke to today is this idea that, you know, you can't live within just one retail sector or vertical anymore. You've got to be aware of what's happening across many different forms and areas of retail to inform you know what you're doing in in your world uh, yeah. because you know as steve called out early on our conversation today you know the shopper today is having experiences good and bad everywhere and is right. bringing those thoughts those perceptions those expectations to how he or she interacts with you i i think that's a really important call out so great conversation Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you again, Steve, so much for your time. And uh, I'd love to get you back on in a few months from now. And I'm sure people out there, you know, again, Steve's book is called Remarkable Retail. And uh, it's fantastic. It's in the second edition. And I think that's not the full description of the book. It's actually Remarkable Retail, uh, How to Win and Keep Customers in the Age of Disruption, right? So get a, get a copy correct. of that. It's a fantastic book. And, I, and if you haven't heard Steve listen, he also does a podcast. And see what do, the remarkable that? retail podcast yeah, with go. my uh, co-host, Michael LeBlanc, who's an experienced retailer out of Canada. So we get a global perspective, North American and global perspective. So yeah, it'd be great to That's great. check That's that great. out. Yeah, please check it out. And again, thank you so much for listening and supporting this podcast. We appreciate it. Keep the, keep the inquiries coming in. And again, if you want to get on the show as a guest, please do email us and we'll be happy to schedule you in. Although I have to tell you that the line's getting long. Gary, that's getting pretty exciting. <laughs> I know, we've got a, uh, a good uh, pipeline going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and I want to thank, of course, Stephanie, who does an amazing job of editing this. And I don't know how she does it in a few days, but she does a fantastic job. So thanks, Stephanie. And uh, you guys stay safe out there and we'll meet you hopefully at, uh, at places. You know, now that we're starting to get around a little bit, uh, but again, uh, have a fantastic rest of the summer. We'll talk to you soon. Make sure to join us every Monday and connect with us at The Retail Perch on Instagram and Facebook. And if you have any questions, feel free to email us at theretailperch at birdseye.com. Until next time, this is Shaker. And this is Gary, signing off. <laughs>